Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now I'm very pleased to welcome the producer, Matt Brubaker. How are you today, Matt? Very good. How are you, Dana? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk to you about Followed. This has been, uh, it's been quite the experience getting an opportunity to talk to Anton and Matthew and now getting an opportunity to talk to you. Uh, it's one of the rare treats that, uh, that I get to sort of indulge in with a podcast is, uh, you know, I see a movie I love. I'm able to reach out to the right people and say, Hey, I really want to talk to the people that are involved in making this project. So thank you for taking the time to, uh, to sit down with me. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Us filmmakers love when, uh, uh, when we have people interested in our movies. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Anton sort of brought me up to speed a little bit about, you know, the genesis of this project. What I'd yeah. like to know first thing is, you know, you know, where were you at? What what was going on in your career when you made the decision to to make this project or get involved with this project? So um, about like nine or so years ago, I was an assistant. Um, I worked for uh, Robert Zemeckis and uh, Steve Starkey. So, uh over in a production company house that they have in like uh, Santa Barbara area. When that job was done, I was working on um, on two movies of theirs, Beowulf and um, A Christmas Carol. Uh, I decided I might try my luck at independent filmmaking. And so Antoine and I, who actually went to college together, uh, we formed a company and we decided that we would kind of work on uh, small projects together at first, and then we could, you know, something that we could kind of build up into larger projects. So Followed was our first project. Um, it was something that initially, actually, believe it or not, was going to be even smaller than it was <laughs> than what it is right now. But think, thanks to, you know, all the people who are interested in uh, helping us uh, financially, uh, um, you know, we were able to raise the financing to get the money uh, to make this movie. So, yeah, uh, we started about four years ago. Antoine, in one ear, was like, hey, I want to do a movie about the Hotel Cecil. And Todd Click, my other friend, uh, he's the writer on the, the film, was like, I really want to do something for the Hotel Cecil, <laughs> about about the Hotel Cecil. And the, it, it was so funny. It was so serendipitous because the two of them happened to be whispering in either of my, my ears literally within weeks of each other. So I don't know if, if it was, there was some kind of uh, zeitgeist going on or whatnot, but the two of them were like, yeah, we, we want to work on s s something about um, sort of inspired by the Hotel Cecil. And, and I brought them together and we started this whole thing by sitting down uh, for beers. Every, uh, um, every week we sat down for beers about, for about three months. We would, we would meet about once a week. And Todd would come up with the beats and Antoine and I would, oh, and as well as Greg Berlant, the executive producer on the project, we would all just kind of like brainstorm and come up with ideas. And uh, it was really just a creative process. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan, you know, as a producer, I'm a huge fan of, you know, the logistics of creativity, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's this idea that, that you get, you know, a, a bunch of creatives together. And, and uh, if you pick the right ones and the ones that they kind of gel well together, right, uh, it just turns into magic. So I feel like we got a little bit of that magic here on the movie. The film is, it's a found, it's a found footage film. Would you classify it as a horror or more of a psychological thriller? How would you classify the film? Oh, we've, I think we've always classified it as a horror film. But I think if you were to like, 
really delve into it, you'd probably maybe classify it as a psychological thriller. The uh, I do think though that the the ghost elements right make it uh, kind of like give it that uh, that horror like a supernatural horror kind of uh, genre vibe. Was it initially always thought of thought of to be sort of a found footage or was it just going to be more of a run of a mill, just horror film? Yeah. In fact, in fact, that was the whole point, really. We got together, you know, in those early days and we were like, well, what, what can we do for really cheap? You know, something that we can, we could, you know, prove that we can make money, you know, for our investors, but also prove that we can make movies you know, we Antoine and I go back since college. We used to make short films all the time, but short but filming a short film is completely different than filming a feature. And having done my first, I can t- I can verify that that is true. <laughs> Features are just so much larger, and and there's so much so many more uh, things in the in the works and uh, little little things that you have to to consider from a producing standpoint when we take a look at the character of mike this is he is a he's an influencer he's well he's an up-and-coming influencer he's a he's basically a a youtuber essentially and i've kind of told anton and matthew that i uh i watch probably more youtube than i really should uh <laughs> so i'm familiar with a lot of influencers and i told matthew that uh-huh. he, he really nailed that persona i'm wondering where you were as far as your opinions about sort of the influencer culture and youtubers when you were getting into the project and it was decided that your protagonist was going to be one of these influencers so so todd click the the writer came to us with the idea you know we we wanted to do some sort of a found footage thing and then he's like you know i'm i'm working on this possible other project uh it, it was a tv show at the time and he's like it's just about a vlogger uh, who does like shitty things <laughs> and and we were like oh, you know what like as far as a you know as far as a found footage feature film like we didn't know if that had ever been done before and uh i believe at the time that was back in 2016 or yeah uh we uh, yeah it, it still had had not been done before so uh and i think actually right now we might still be the first like feature length youtube oriented or youtube style uh found footage flick so um yeah yeah that was always sort of in the works and you you so you're asking what again you're asking sort of sort of what your your general opinion or what you basically thought about like youtubers and and sort of how that that whole sort of culture has really exploded over the past say six seven years to to where these guys are are really mainstream now yeah i mean i would say it's even exploded since we made the movie interestingly enough even when we made the movie the idea of a vlogger was still it was like you had your select maybe 20 vloggers that that everybody knew about but nowadays it's become something that very many people do and there's yeah a lot that kind of goes into that and i think that do i have an opinion on the the vloggers themselves it's it's kind of difficult because i actually i i watch i i don't watch a lot of those style of vloggers right but i'm certainly aware of them like uh um pewdiepie of course like you hear about so many of these uh 
some of these people in the news. But yeah, mostly I I, I listen to or I, I tend to watch more like educational kind of sure. kind of vlog, you know, YouTube stuff. So I'm not a big consumer of of that particular content, but I do find that world fascinating. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, um, it's a really kind of strange new world that that uh, we're building this idea of a global, you know, community. And in that community, you're going to end up with people who shine, you know, and you're going to end up with just like we had in high school, you're going to end up with class clowns, you know, and, and those class clowns are going to make a lot of noise. So, of course, they're going to be the ones that everybody hears about first. And uh, I guess that those are my thoughts. No, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely perfect. That's- you know, the character of Mike, drop the mic, is I was telling Matthew that he he so perfectly personified that type of like as you said sort of that kind of that class clown a little bit you know who's Mm. who's really Mm -hmm. just doing it whatever it takes so you've got anton directing you have todd's writing you you're going to be the you're the producer on this one and you've said that you like to you know put together sort of the the challenges in in putting together these projects sort of the creative challenges so Mm -hmm. you know once you're moving forward with this project you know what is day-to-day life like for you working on this project like what are your responsibilities and we won't even get into the the editing part of that yet because i want to talk about that after the film after you're done filming you know you know it's funny i actually get asked that question a lot as far as like not even what I do on followed, but like, what does a producer do? Because sure. <laughs> the, the idea of a, of a director, the idea of a writer, the idea of a director of photography, like these are things that have very clear goal, you know, very clear responsibilities. But uh, the idea of a producer is, I mean, to say that you're sort of like the glue that kind of glues everybody together like you're the guy who brings everybody together you're the guy who who makes sure that the personalities work together uh that the production is going to go well so as far as day-to-day a lot of it is just a lot of it is just like answering emails and like making phone calls and it's so day-to-day that uh that what I'm doing yesterday is very different than what I'm doing today, and which is going to be very different from what I'm doing tomorrow. But overall, it has to do with the logistics of, of filmmaking and the logistics and, and combining that and, and understanding how that affects the creative you know, aspect of, of the film. Because, of course, any producer can come in and say, you know, I want to make money, and you can do that. Right. But you might not end up making a great film. So I think that personally, I think the best producers are the ones that are good with their left brain as well as their right brain. They're the types of people who understand the logistics of of what's going what's going down. They understand a budget, you know, for example, and and who they need to hire and when they need to hire them. And and, you know, everything's so kind of meticulously laid out. Uh, logistically speaking, in a, on a movie, that's all very important. But also, a good producer is somebody who has, you know, good right brain activity, right? That like creative, because uh, they need to understand the creatives that they're working with, and they need to understand the sort of, you know, with when the director or the writer, or let's say the writer, like early on, if the writer's like, you know, oh, I got this great idea for this thing, and you're like, well, that'll actually cost a lot of money, but maybe it's worth me going to the investors, you know what I mean? And, and seeing if, if it's something that we can get in the, the movie. So 
you, you have to be able to make those decisions as a producer, which is something that a writer or director, for example, doesn't. So, um, yeah. Getting into this project, logistically, what did you foresee the biggest challenges were going to be? Ooh, good question. What did I think the biggest challenges would be? I mean, for me, it was, you know, it's my first feature. So, honestly, the whole thing was a learning experience, and I knew it would be a learning experience. And so I went into it knowing that. And so did I really know what or even have a grasp of what would be really difficult? I didn't. Um, I guess in hindsight, I mean, obviously raising the financing is a big part. You know, we, we started very early on, um, you know, and you're getting like a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there, because we, we did the friends and family kind of a thing. Uh, so we, uh, uh, that process probably took a, f- a few months and then we're literally on set and we need to come up with more money, right? <laughs> like there was, this, I don't know if Antoine told you this, but there was literally a day on set and I felt really bad because Antoine's Antoine, uh, produced this movie with me. Right. So he, I might have been like the lead producer, but he was an incredible um, part of the producing team. And, uh, there was this part, there's this day where, you know, he's filming this emotional scene and both of us are trying to find $25,000 <laughs> because we're, we, we want to be able to make sure that our crew gets paid on Friday. Right. Um, I was very proud. Uh, we never bounced a check. Awesome. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It ended up, uh, it ended up working out, but yeah, finding the financing can can always be sort of a difficult part. Uh, and I, we, you know, it's, I feel like on filmmaking, you know, podcasts like these, right, it's probably a big question that a lot of people ask, you know, which is how, how do you find money? That's you true. know, it is a, a big part of it. I don't think it's the main part of making a movie, of course, but it is, a, it is an important part. And it's, it's easy to, to when you start off in the, in, in you're about to make a movie and you're constantly thinking about how you're going to, to raise the financing. No, I get it. No. And yeah, I've definitely talked to quite a few filmmakers who echo exactly what you've said. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think often, you know, a lot of people, when they watch films, they just don't realize, especially the, the smaller independent films, they don't realize the blood, sweat and tears that goes on, not even on set, like just behind the scenes. And it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's remarkable. So you, Antoine was telling me about the different locations, you know, two different hotels. Uh, you know, there was talk about possibly shooting at the actual hotel and that just didn't, yeah. that just wasn't happening. What did, how did those yeah. conversations go? Oh my God. Wait, did, I'm just curious. Did Antoine even tell you uh, about what happened? No, no, he didn't. Uh, he just, he just said, okay. he, oh, this is what he said. He said, uh, okay. we wanted to shoot at the actual hotel, but something about uh, American Horror Story and sort of yeah. the hotel had, had, had kind of had a okay. resurgence in popularity, but I he didn't tell an actual story. I have, I have an interesting story. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we actually did approach the Cecil they turned us down. <laughs> um, I had a feeling that that would be the case. However, Todd Click, our writer, was like, hey, if, if it's at all possible, I mean, why wouldn't we at least try? And uh, so uh, we set up a meeting over at the Cecil. And it's so funny because Todd pitches them 
he pitches them. I'm not even sure if I should say this, but I, I'm totally going to. Um, Todd pitches them the idea of a comedy. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're thinking about doing this comedy film. And and they're like, okay, cool. Come, come on over and let's, let's, um, let's have a meeting. And so we go over there and we have a meeting and I tell Todd, you know, I was like, I was like, no, we can't lie. Like we have to tell them what we're doing. Like that's, you know, th- th- there's no way we could make a movie, you know, and just like make a horror movie and play it off. Like it's a, you know, a, a, a comedy, like there's, there's no way, there's no way we could do that. So we go, we go into the meeting and like, they're super excited to, to meet with us. I'm sure, you know, it's always good to have like, you know, you think of it from the perspective of a hotel, like the idea of having a, a film crew come in and, you know, they, they pay money and, you know, for, for all the locations and whatnot, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good business. And so they were excited. And then we go in, we have the meeting and like, and as Todd is telling them what this movie is about, you could just see their (laughs) smiles just like dissolve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was it was so funny like and i i felt inc- i felt really bad because they were super nice people like super nice people and at the end they're like they're like yeah we know what this is about um they're but they were super they're super kind they said you know they gave us some names and numbers of other hotels you know um yeah it was uh it was just really funny. It was just really funny being in that meeting yeah. with 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 the yeah the people who uh, with the the manager of the hotel and her assistant and and you're making a movie about that hotel, you know. So, now oh, that's awesome. That's a good story. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so you've let's just let's go to you've got you've got the financing. Well. You're, you're, it's a continuous journey to get financing, but you've started shooting. It's your first feature film. I mean, you're, you've got to be feeling immense pressure to pull oh, this yeah. off. And I'm just wondering in the time when you were filming, you know, what was your sort of at the end of each day, what were you thinking? Right. So, uh, so pre-production for me is, so as a producer, pre-production is actually where you shine. Um, it's not actually during production, which is interesting because it, it, you know, you would think it would be the opposite, right? You would think that like, you're a producer on set and you're just like running around and like telling everybody what to do. But that's actually not the case. Uh, if you do your job in pre-production, uh, everybody has their roles and, uh, things move really quickly. Um, and your job is basically to kind of put out fires, you know, like little things by little things. I mean, plenty of big things pop up here and there that need to get fixed. Uh, a big one for, uh, for us, for example, was, we didn't actually have the the two hotels, um, the Normandy and the the Hayward, like actually booked and signed until maybe a couple days before the shoot. So we had been we had been planning right to shoot, but we hadn't locked in our locations. Like we had done negotiations, you know, whatnot, but nothing had actually been signed, and so. You know, if a day before the shoot, like one of those hotels is like, yeah, you know what? Actually, we changed our mind, <laughs> you know, like, where would we be? Like, I don't know. I, we would probably be shooting in like an apartment building or something like that. So, so yeah, during pre-production, we had a lot of, we had a lot of stuff like that kind of pop up. 
but actually during production, it was just, you know, like I had the, the pleasure of just like the whole time, not the whole time, like, but half of the time, like just standing behind Antoine, you know, as he's directing and just kind of like watching him work and just making sure everything is, uh, is working out. Okay. And then by the end of the, the shoot day, you know, I was very proud of our line producer and our AD because they were able to, to keep our productions on time. We, I don't think we ever went over 12 hours, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, for a film, usually you, you know, usually you're like, okay, 12 hours is, is the standard, right? That's like standard in, in film production. And usually it, it ends up kind of pushing maybe 13 or 14 hours, especially on shoots like these where you're shooting 144 pages in 12 days, you know? Um, so yeah, very, very proud of our crew for, and cast also for, you know, memorizing their lines and whatnot and, and coming, coming in super prepared. But yeah, we were able to, to finish on, uh, on time, which is as a producer, that's a huge deal yeah. to not have to think, oh, well, an, another hour is maybe, you know, $10,000, you know what I mean? Like to, to keep everybody here and, you know, and wh what's that going to do with the budget and do I have to make up for it later? So we didn't, we didn't have to deal with those. So for me, production was really, really a pleasure. So yeah. once principal photography is finished and it's time to go into post-production, this is where you're going to be sitting in the editor's chair. And this mm -hmm. is your, this now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is your first time editing a feature film, correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yes. So just take, take me yeah. kind of take me through that process because one of the things that I absolutely love about this film is, is, is the pace of the film is, you know, I'm engaged the moment this film starts till the moment it ends. And I remember even sort of commenting to a friend of mine about like, this is really, really well edited. So kudos to you, bravo for, for the job you did. And just take me through that sort of that process as your first time editing a feature film. Um, I guess, you know, I had edited shorts before. Uh, I had done like 18 or 20 shorts back in college. So I definitely knew how to edit. However, it had been maybe 10 years since I had edited anything. So I wanted to make sure if I was going to edit using a, uh, I mean, on a feature film that I would be doing everything correctly, which is probably even more of a big deal than I thought it would be. And I knew it was, it would be a big deal because towards the end of the process, you go through what's called deliverables with your, uh, with your distributor. And a lot of that is just post-production work. And if you don't do the post process correctly, they will not accept your film. So, so the, the first part of the editing process for me was doing what I call the script edit. And what it is, is it is my edit as I see the script. So what I'll do is I'll go through each of the scenes and I'll, I'll get a feeling like I'll actually read the script and I'll get a feeling where the cuts are going to be. And, and, and approximately like, like what, like if this were, you know, if this were in Todd's mind, like Todd clicks mind, the, the writer, like if this were in the writer's mind, like how did he see it? And then, so I, I, what I do is I sort of create the script edit, which ended up being two and a half hours long. And, 
you know, you've, you've watched the film, so you know it's only an hour and a half, which means that we cut out a, a whole hour. So once the, once the script edit was done, we did a whole, basically a whole like nine months of where we just showed it to people and, you know, would, would get notes because the idea of showing it to other people is, you know, people can say like, well, that, that, that part is kind of a little slow. That part is, is a little slow. And eventually you kind of, kind of chop everything out. But that process ended up being very, very long because it's really difficult to know the pacing of your film without taking out those little things. So for example, if you take out one scene, right, how do you know how, how does it affect the other scene? So for example, if, if, you know, one of our notes is, well, I didn't like those two scenes, but it's possible that if you take out one scene, the other scene will be better. You know, there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a, there are a lot of variables uh, when you're when you consider note taking, but we did we did get notes from a lot of our friends, and I thought that that was a big part of the editing process, and we were able to chop it down from two and a half hours to an hour, and yeah, I'm I'm actually very proud of that, <laughs> because because chopping out an hour was very difficult. Uh, we went from you know, basically a 144 page script to, you know, a 90 page script. And that's a lot of dialogue. That's a lot of story that you're cutting out. And there's a lot of stuff that I like too, you know, but pacing wise, I, I definitely feel that our hour and a half version is so much better just because Antoine and I sort of were going for a, like a roller coaster, right? You know, it's this idea that like, you know, the whole first act, for example, you know, if you take it in terms of like a roller coaster, you know, it's, it's, it's that like, you sit down, you like, you start going, right? <laughs> and there's, there's this like, there's about two, like, there's like a minute, two minutes before you, you start going up the first uh, hill on the roller coaster, right? And then like, then really things start kind of, you know, uh, going this way and that and, and as an editor, I think that that's sort of, it's a very interesting analogy, you know, as far as the way that a roller coaster works and the pacing of a roller coaster. And uh, I felt like the hour and a half version definitely had that. Whereas the, the two and a half hour version, like there were some great scenes with some of the actors, for example, that we had to cut out that would have been just kind of nice, like nice to see them in that element, maybe in a different element that we got to see them uh, in, in the hour and a half version. But, um, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is story. And so if you can create a great story with fewer minutes, you should, because that's just, a, I mean, it's just as far as general rules are concerned, like that's a, that's a fairly, um, good rule to follow. I, I love your uh, your analogy about the roller coaster because I want to just take you real briefly <laughs> yeah. to to my first viewing of the film. So much has happened in the movie by the time that Mike is sort of just sitting in the hotel room with and that envelope slides under with the key mm -hmm. to the basement. I okay. audibly said out loud, "Oh, I forgot about the basement. Are we really doing this?" <laughs> Oh no. Oh no. We're not doing the basement. Like that's like so much had happened by that point yeah. that I had finally kind of just psychologically calmed down. And then it's like, Oh wait, we're going into the basement, which was yeah. again, brilliant. Just, and, and, and I think that, you know, those moments, right. That moment, those are moments of silence. 
And I think when you're when you talk about editing specifically, those moments are important because moments of silence emphasize are have a special emphasis, especially on a, a movie that is a roller coaster, right? So, so you have to use those moments, those those silent moments, very judiciously. And that was a moment, right? That moment where like all this stuff is happening, and then boom, like. You know, he's sitting on a bed and like, that's it, you know, and then you sort of watch him for like 10 seconds and then he gets like a phone call and, you know, and, and the idea is that, is that it's great to give your audiences, audiences just like a little bit of a chance to breathe, you know, before, uh, you, you give them the next, uh, up, you know, what do you call it? An uphill in a, in a roller coaster, sure. you know? Sure. So <laughs> it, it was, it was brilliant. It's just going to get a little, little tech techie with you here because yeah. uh, I had a uh, I had a filmmaker by the name of Ann Wells on about a year ago and um, she made a film for I think a budget on her film was roughly about a hundred grand and she was talking about something you mentioned earlier about the deliverables and mm-hmm. she talked about that about that being one of the most tedious parts of the post-production and she said okay. that bigger productions usually can hire companies to do the deliverables so my mm-hmm. question is did you do the deliverables yourself or did you actually hire a company to do it? Yeah, we, we, I did the deliverables myself. Yeah, there, there were there were like a few things. Um, for example, you have what's called a, a CCSL, like a continuity. It's called a CCSL, the uh, continuity dialogue list. Combined continuity dialogue, dialogue list, that's it. Yeah, um, there are things like that that you'll, you, you want to... Uh, outsource because there are people who are going to know so much more than than you do about creating those. Uh, but overall, yeah, the deliverables is really just about knowing your shit, you know, and and understanding the technicals of the project. So one of one of the things that I'm actually glad I did, you know, e- even if I never edit again, even if I just produce my entire life and never edit again, I found it to be. That from from a technical standpoint, very informative as a producer, because now I understand, you know, what it takes to edit a film and 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 not just edit a film, right? But but also to provide those deliverables and to have everything technically ready uh, for the big screen. Yeah, I that I think that that stuff will be very valuable to me as a producer. Uh, when I'm working on other movies, were there any changes that need to be made for any foreign markets? Um, so we're actually we're actually doing the deal with our foreign marketer right now. Uh, sorry, foreign distributor right now. Yeah. So we're actually signing with a foreign distributor right now. So I have yet to see what the foreign markets are going to want, but I've already sent them our deliverables. So like little things that they'll probably change here and there as far as. It's possible they might do a dub. Yep. You know, we, we, we do, we, part of the process of, of the deliverables, you export what's called an M&E, some music and, uh, uh, music and effects. And it's uh, something that your, your sound mixer is going to export that, that basically doesn't have the dialogue track, but only has the music and effects. They will use, you know, they can use that for dubbing, for example. Um, but other than that, they shouldn't be changing much. I mean, it's possible maybe they'll like add like a logo or something like that to the beginning, uh, or they might change the title to be something uh, that is uh, regionally, <laughs> you know, 
like uh, regionally regionally acceptable, but uh, but also obviously in the in maybe even in the language of the region. So uh, yeah, I have yet to find out okay. for some of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I you know this movie came out this past weekend. And we were talking before we started to record. So I'm wondering if you could share with the listeners the uh, the good news you shared with me oh, yeah. prior to recording. So, yeah, I, this is actually something I was not expecting. Uh, we, we were sort of we were going into this being like, oh, yeah, well, we'll probably like get three or four at the box office. You know, let's ho- let's hope for three. Right. You know, and then like in a in a glorious, you know, uh, if we get really, really lucky, maybe we'll get number two. But actually, uh, this last weekend, I just found out that we were number one in the box office as far as like new movies are concerned. And that was a huge deal for us. Um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a crazy time with theaters right now. And this whole uh, this whole release strategy that we're doing is it's I, I sort of feel like I'm a little bit of a pioneer, yeah. you know, like like I, like I'm, I'm entering into like the Wild West and there's all these rules that haven't yet been established and, you know, it's very cutthroat and, and, uh, uh, but it's, it's exciting. Like it's, it's cool to be part of, you know, uh, a time in history when some, some weird thing happened and a few, you know, a few films, whether they're independent or studio, we were a lot of uh, the other movies that we were competing against were Becky, um, infamous. And these are all like high, uh, big independent movies, right. Uh, horror movies specifically. Uh, so yeah, it was super exciting to find that, find that out that we, that we were number one. Now that's incredible. And congratulations on that. I mean that Thank you. the movie's playing here in, in my hometown of Ocala, Florida at the drive-in movie <laughs> theater. Now I, I oh, saw, yeah, I saw it on, um, at home and you know on the big flat screen with the surround sound and everything but anton's telling me like you know you need to go see this in in the drive-in you need to get the drive-in experience as well so so i'll ask you this question have you had an opportunity to see this film play in a drive-in yeah so um i actually went to two different ones uh i went on friday i went to the mission tiki over uh i mean here in la we have um we have two the mission tiki he was this huge like megaplex style drive-in uh they take thousands of cars at a time and it was packed which is great to see you know <laughs> obviously yeah. as a as a filmmaker it's really cool to see that then i went on uh i went on saturday i went to another one and yeah i just i just have to say i had a blast it it felt sort of like a communal experience you know, maybe even a little more so than a standard theater experience. So when you go into a theater, right, there is sort of that communal experience that you feel with even just the people sitting three, you know, three rows down, right? But um, but at a drive-in, there's even more of a communal experience because there's this feeling like you're all doing something that is a little bit abnormal or, you know, that's a little bit kind of quirky, and yeah. and and you kind of share that, and there's this kind of understanding when you when you watch a, a movie at a drive-in, it kind of uh, I don't know it it feels almost prophetic. <laughs> so. If COVID had never happened, yeah, 
how do you think your release strategy would have been different? Um, well, actually, we were planning on releasing April 10th at about 150 to 300 theaters. So we actually we actually had theaters lined up, or, or not lined up, but we were actually talking with a, bi- a very big theater chain at that time um, about about you know having our movie in their theaters and then this covid thing dropped the theaters literally closed yeah. <laughs> and so all of us all of this, the producers as well as the distributors we we're just like let's just take a week off guys because <laughs> <laughs> this like nobody really knew like like w- what was going on or like how we would you know uh, like we all sort of knew that we would find out, like we would, we would figure something out. And very early on, maybe like a month before that, actually, uh, um, I had read something about drive-ins and I was actually thinking it, if something were to happen, maybe the drive-ins would still accept us. Now I would never even begin to comprehend the kind of excitement or the kind of attention that drive-ins are getting in right now. So I was thinking like, Hey, maybe a few people can see our movie at least like in the drive-ins. Right. But as it turns out, um, drive-ins are, are a very popular venue to go see, um, any movie at right now because people just need it. need the chance to get outside and, and enjoy life without being, inside their room yeah no you're right you're right and uh in early april the drive-in here in ocala florida was it made national headlines because it was the only cinema in the country that was showing a first-run film i mean i, I mean a, a new movie and that that movie's entire box office gross was predicated on that one opening weekend there so wow it's yeah but it's it's interesting it's 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 almost baffling how, you know, old becomes new again and what, I mean, drive-ins were all the rage in the fifties and sixties. And now it's, it's coming back obviously for much different reasons, but pe- people are embracing it. And I think there's a lot of people that have never been to a drive-in and this, this, I, I dare say that some of these big theater chains might open some drive-ins if they, you know, I'm- I'll be honest. I'm super surprised that they haven't yet bought out all the drive-ins. Yeah, yeah. Like you would think, you would think like AMC or or like a big company, you know, big theater chain company. Like the first thing that they would do is be like, okay, well, you know, just in case this isn't just a a few months thing, like let's let's start discussing, you know, possible other strategies. I know there are actually discussions being made as far as other ways to see movies outdoors. So another example that people are thinking of is believe it or not stadiums. Um, you know, the idea is like, you know, you can have thousands and thousands of fans watch a movie. Like let's say something like, you know, maybe not our movie, right. But like say tenant, you know, something that like literally everybody in the world wants to see. Right. You know, um, like, you know, you would pack a, a, a stadium, for example, and and just have have it play there. Uh, so the, I think that those discussions are, yeah, th- those are those are actual discussions that are being made right now. And I can totally understand from a business standpoint that you know if things continue the way that they're going, or even that we as 
you know, human beings who get scared, even if it is safe, you know, do we really, are we really going to, how long will it take for us to feel safe? Right. Even if we are safe, how long will it take for us to feel safe? And the theater chains, I'm sure are worried about that right now. And, uh, the drive-ins are just, it's just such a cool alternative. And you, you get that same feeling that you get that almost cathedral-esque feeling, you know, of watching a movie up on the big screen, uh, you, that you do at a drive-in that you do uh, at like an IMAX theater, for example. So yeah. I, I really think that the experience is so much fun. It's so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, so in this episode's show notes, there's going to be a link to the to the website so that listeners can, you know, put in their zip code, find the closest drive-in theater mm-hmm. that this place is playing. Yeah. Any closing thoughts you you want to let the listeners know about this film, you know, especially the, the ones who haven't seen it yet, you know, what can they expect? I think that the the best mark of a horror film really is how scary it is. And I'm so happy that people think it's scary. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah, uh, go see a scary movie, go see our movie because it's scary. And it's, it's also fun. Like it's fun and scary, which I don't know is, is a combination you get very often, you know, usually, usually it's one or the other. Uh, so yeah, if you want to see a fun and scary movie, definitely check out our movie at drive-ins because yeah, you'll have a really good time. When I finished the film, I text Chad and said, thank you so much for, for allowing me to see this film. And I told him, and I stand by that this is one of the best found footage films I've ever seen. Uh, wow. It's one of the best, it's one of the scariest horror films I've ever seen. And I mean this, and I watch a lot of horror movies. And I know this because there's no other reason why at 42 years old, I'm sitting in a living room, looking away from the screen, freaked out. It Look, here's the bottom line. This film is scary. Like you said, it's fun. It's incredibly efficient in its pace. It gets going and it never, there's never, it never gets bogged down. Not for a moment. And I said to Chad, I have to let everyone I know know about this film. I have to put the word out. I have to talk to those people involved. And I got a chance to talk to Anton. I got a chance to talk to Matthew. And it's been a real delight to be able to talk to you. And I, I really hope this isn't the last time we have a conversation. I'd love to invite you back on the show anytime you just want to, you know, chat about movies or what the next project is or, or you know, any update us on sure. any information. We, we, we do have a next project. It's perfect. Um, I, I, can't, I can't tell you about it. But um, I can tell you, though, that, that uh, there, there, will, there is definitely a follow two sort of in the works. Sure. So, yeah, look out for that as well. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the uh, all the inc- incredible hard work you did to make this movie, to get this movie well, I, out. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thank you. All right.